So we are uh, in part three of a series <clears throat> that we're calling Greater. And the, and the whole idea behind this series and the whole kind of vision and, 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 and where this idea kind of came from for the series was that, hey, we believe that like KSU <clears throat> is a lot greater than what it was. Man, it, it, we, we talked about its humble beginnings and we just believe that in your life, we believe that on this campus, we believe that whatever campus you are at, I know that not all of you go to KSU, maybe it's um, Chattahoochee Tech um, or Georgia Highlands, that where, wherever you go to school, maybe it's the Marietta campus here of KSU over where Southern Poly used to be, but we just believe that wherever you are and whatever campus you find yourself on, whatever sphere of influence you find yourself in, here's what we believe is that God wants to do greater things. And we think, hey, yeah, there's been a lot of cool things that have happened on this campus and on your campus and in your life and in your struggles of influence. But here's what we believe is that your Heavenly Father looks at you and we believe that He wants to do even greater things in you and through you. And we believe a big reason why we're here, a big reason why the living room exists, a big reason why Watermark Church would create a position to hire me and put a lot of money into making something like this happen throughout the year for you is because Watermark Church believes that God wants to do even greater things things on this campus in you and through your lives. And we talked week one uh, back in Parliament Hall. We said, hey, really the, the basis upon which God can do greater things in and through us, the basis upon that is the greatest thing that he ever did for us, which was sending Jesus down the cross. That yeah, God wants to do greater things, but we said that the basis upon which greater things can happen is the greatest thing that ever happened to us was Jesus coming to die on the cross for you and for me. And we said, hey, at week one, we want to talk about greater, and the subtitle of this series is our response to the love of God. And we said, before we can respond to the love of God, we've got to talk about the love of God, and that's what we did in week one. And then last week, in my absence, Mitchell was here. Did you guys enjoy Mitchell? He did a fantastic job. Got to listen to what he did, which was awesome. Love that guy. And he really challenged us and said, hey, look, the, the, the first idea of us respond to the love of God is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we represent Christ, that we've been given ministry and responsibility, and that we're ambassadors of Christ. And, and we landed on this amazing idea that, that Mitchell taught us, was that, hey, love should flow through you, and love should flow through me as a response to greater love that came for you. That love should flow through you as a response to greater love that came for you. And we see that on the cross. And so we get to today as we continue to unpack our response to the love of God. Um, so like I said, if, if you weren't here uh, last week, and I mentioned it in the introduction or in the hosting or whatever, but so I got married a week and a half ago, which was awesome, was engaged for uh, quite a while, not on purpose, just kind of how it worked out. So I was ready to be married, okay? I was, I was engaged for 13 months. I would not recommend that ever. If I could do it again, I'd just skip engagement altogether um, and just go to the court out. No, but I'm just kidding. Wedding was awesome. Loved it. But it was just a really long engagement, um, just the way that it kind of worked out. Life. But I got, got married, and so last week I was gone. I actually got a picture of me and Julie. There's not many yet. That's from Instagram. Yeah, um, that's a, not a professional photograph. We'll get those soon. Uh, but that's just us. That's after we're officially husband and wife. We're about to walk. I'm going to see the fist pump. Y'all see that jump? That's what MJ did when he got married, probably. So I did the fist bump all the way down the aisle um, on the way out. Um, and so wedding was awesome. It was a lot of fun, everything that I would have imagined. I, I heard that you guys saw a video of me getting thrown up in the air during Shout last week. 
Yeah, that was crazy. Um, that happened all night. We did some crazy stuff. All legal, but it was fun. And so, so I was on my honeymoon last week. Um, and in fact, <laughs> so we're at dinner, <laughs> me and Julie, and we get a FaceTime from Mitchell. <laughs> and I look at Julie, and I'm like, hey, we knew it was a living room. I was like, should we answer it? She was like, yeah. And so y'all didn't, I didn't see any of y'all's faces, but I think y'all saw me on FaceTime. So yeah, for those of y'all that weren't here last week, you missed the FaceTime with me from Mexico. Don't miss the living room. So that's what, what that was. But so we were in Mexico, and we went to Playa Mujeres. It's, this, this, it's about a beach, like 25 minutes outside of Cancun. And let me just tell you, it was the greatest vacation spot I had ever been to in my entire life. I mean, it was unbelievable. I knew it was going to be great. I was hoping it would be great because it cost a lot of money. But it was unbelievable. I mean, so we get there, right? We're excited, you know, it's the honeymoon. Like, it's, you're expecting it to be good. And so, but the second we step outside of that Mexico airport, it was like we were a king and a queen. So I walk outside of the Mexican airport, and, like, there's a guy holding up a thing with, uh, with my name on it. I was like, that's me. Hey, that's me. He comes, and he gets our bags, and then he gives us, like, a, a cold water bottle with a towel, and then he puts all our stuff in the van, and then it's a Mercedes van. That's just cool. It looked like a normal van, but it was a Mercedes. And then they took us to the hotel. The hotel was unbelievable. We pull up to the hotel. They open the door for us. We walk out of the, um, of the, uh, of the van, and before we even step foot inside of the resort, they give us two glasses of champagne saying, welcome. I'm like, all right, what up? And... Um, <laughs> And so we, we walk into the place, and like the, all the staff are dressed in white, and they're being so helpful. They take all of our bags up to our room. We go into our room, and our room is unbelievable. I mean, the shower is the size of a typical walk-in closet. It was ridiculous, okay? Um, and then the, the room, king-size bed. It had a massive balcony. It had an outdoor bed. It had two outdoor beds, one under the shade, and then one out in the sun. It had a hot tub. This is in our room. And then it had an outdoor private pool. It was ridiculous. And if you push the little button, and there was a little fountain on top, and so water would come through. I mean, it was ridiculous, and it's just the bedroom. And the massive, massive king bed, there was, a, there was a snack bar and a bar that got replenished every single day. And so even if I didn't eat the snacks, I would take them, put them in my bag, so they put more snacks down there, right? I had a system. It was amazing. And so that's just this. So we go outside of the resort. The resort is unbelievable. And one thing i got to tell you on the front, end before I forget, you know, here we got lizards when you go to the beach. But in Mexico, they have iguanas just walking around the beach, not even joking you. At first I was scared, then it was exciting. Um, and there were a few of these just walking around the resort. They're just, they're just chilling. That's their home. I think it's just their natural. That's where they are. Like one of them walked up to a restaurant, and so people were feeding it lettuce. It was ridiculous. So you see stuff like this. But the resort was amazing. The beaches were incredible. There were beds and chairs on the beach, all these infinity pools, swim-up bars, and the food. And here's what's so great. It was all-inclusive. So I paid before I left, and I got there, and I didn't have to pay for anything. I got all the food that I wanted, all the drinks that I wanted. It was all included. It was amazing. And so we're sitting there at dinner, and you know what? Me and Julie didn't have to talk about, hey, so do we want to splurge and get an appetizer? It was like apps for everybody. Like, come on. I would get all of them. In fact, there were nights when I got multiple entrees just because I could. And it was amazing. For breakfast, I would get like an omelet and pancakes. And they were two separate things. And I would get Julie be like, why are you ordering this food? I'm like, because I already paid for it. And they bring it out anyway. It was just ridiculous. It was unbelievable. And it did not matter where you were. You, would get, you could get food, right? So if you're in your bed, if you're in your bedroom, 24-hour room service. 
any time of the day, whatever you want, they'll bring it to you. And not only do you order it, but they'll knock on the door. They'll ask you if, you can, if they can come in. And I say yes. And they come and they set it up for you. And they'll be like, hey, is it, do you, with this, 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 here's your jam. Da, 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 da. And they called me Senor Masad. And I was like, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm freaking Senor Masad. And so, and they would set it up. And then if you're on the beach, they had waiters walking around. You could order whatever you wanted. So I'm chilling on the beach, man. And I got nachos. I ordered quesadillas. I wasn't even hungry, but I ate it because I could. And now you're at the pool. There's waiters walking around. You're in the infinity pool. Waiters walk around the edges taking your orders. I mean, it's ridiculous. It was so baller for a week. I felt like Prince Ali, 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 Ababa. It was so crazy. I loved it. I ate it up. Me and Julie just ate it up. It was amazing. It was such a great week. But, but, and the weather was amazing and, and just everything about it. But what made the experience there so remarkable? Yes, the food was awesome and it was all included. I could order whatever I wanted. And then the weather was great and the beaches were clean and the water was amazing. And they, they, get to do like, they had free snorkeling gear. Um, we actually went snorkeling, kind of. And then Julie freaked. i got to tell you the story. Um, we went to, we, they, you get free snorkeling gear just because it was at the resort. So we decided we wanted to snorkel around the beach. And so this one guy says, hey, go down to that pier over there and snorkel. There's a lot of fish. So we go. Within five seconds, Julie starts screaming. Maybe she says a couple choice words that I won't say. And I think there's a shark. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, there's a shark. So she runs out of the water and flippers. I run. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I saw a stingray. I was like, I thought you saw a shark. Um, but so, so we didn't go back. I was scared. Um, I, don't do, I don't do wildlife. I was like, I don't need to snorkel. I'll go lay out and order more quesadillas. And so um, it was just so much fun. But what made this experience in this trip so remarkable? The thing that made it just the five-star experience that it was was the service. I mean, yeah, everything about the resort and the food and all of it was fantastic, but if it wasn't for the service, it would not have been remarkable. For, eight, for, for six days and seven nights, me and Julie were made a priority. We were the priority of countless staff people. There were so many staff people who made us their priority the entire week that they gave us their undivided time and attention. And it did not matter what we wanted or when we wanted it, we were their priority. It didn't matter if they were in the middle of something. They would stop whatever they were doing and do for us whatever it is that we asked them to do. They never were annoyed by us. They never didn't do what we asked them to do. They never acted like they were annoyed by our request. For a whole week, we were their priority. And they did whatever it was that we needed them to do. And they always did it joyfully. And I got to know a lot of these guys. Christian, Luis, Pasquale, Irvin. They were our waiters. I got one of the same people every week. And every single time, whatever it was that you needed, they were there. We were a priority. And I absolutely loved it. The service was unbelievable. And here's what I kind of realized. One thing that we all love, and, and I don't, even maybe you've never been to one of these all-inclusive resorts before where it's just ridiculous kinds of service, right? But here's the deal. We all love when we're a priority. We all love when we get time and attention from particular people, right? We were actually created for it. 
I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but it's not just one of those where, yeah, I like to get time and attention from people. I like when I'm a priority. But if there's one thing that's true of all of us is that we like time and attention from people. And the reason why I know that's true is because if you think back over your life, there were points, and maybe it's now, but there have been moments where there are people you wanted time and attention from that you did not get time and attention from. So maybe for you growing up, maybe it was a, a parent you didn't get much time and attention from. Maybe it was a a friend who they always just seemed too busy to really do anything with you. Maybe it was a sibling, an older sibling, who just seemed always too cool for you. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a mentor. Or maybe it wasn't even a relationship that you had with somebody really close. Maybe you just wanted time and attention from the customer service representative of Amazon because what you ordered was broken and you just want to return it, right? You just want someone to help you, so you want to be a priority, I hate when I'm like at Target and someone acts like I'm an idiot for asking for help. Like, I want to be a priority. And I mean that seriously. So it really doesn't matter what the relationship is. What's true of all of us is we like being a priority, getting time and attention from people. Because when we do, we feel loved. When we're a priority, when we get time and attention from somebody, we feel valuable. We feel significant. We feel cared for. We feel taken care of. Uh, And so here I am sitting in Mexico experiencing this and realizing it and just kind of as I was preparing this message started to think about this idea. Hey, I, I love when I'm the priority. I do. I love when I get time and attention from people that I want time and attention from. I know what it feels like to get time and attention from people. I know what it feels like when I don't get time and attention from them. And what I know is that I love when I do. But I'm not very good at giving my time and attention to other people. If I'm just honest, I'm not very good at my typical day-to-day life. I'm not very good at making other people a priority over and above my own self. And I would be willing to guess that for a lot of you, I think it's natural human tendency to immediately kind of look out for number one, to immediately kind of say, okay, um, I got to go about my day and I got things to do and places to go. And so my initial reaction isn't to put other people as a priority. My initial reaction is that, okay, well, I got things that I got to do. I've got a limited amount of time, and I've got a limited attention span, and so I've got to do what I've got to. I kind of realize my reaction or my, my initial reaction when I look at a day isn't to put other people first. It isn't to make other people a priority. It's to make me a priority. And think about this. We've all been too busy for an interaction. We've all been too busy for a conversation. We've all been too busy to, for a person who maybe wanted to talk to you or interact with you. You just kind of didn't want to do that because we're busy. you got a lot to do during that. You've got classes to get to. You've got assignments to do. You've got a job to do. You've got things, meetings to be at, practice to go to, games to go to, socials to be at, meetings to be a part of. And we're busy and busy and busy and running and running and running. We've got places to go and jobs to do. And on a day in and day out, we've got things that we need to take care of. And usually our focus is, I've got to take care of what I need to take care of. And anyone who gets in my way is really more of an interruption or an obstacle than anything else. You notice that we've all ignored text messages because we're like, I ain't got time for that. We've all ignored phone calls. I don't really feel like taking that. We've all intentionally taken a detour to, to, uh, to avoid somebody on campus. Don't act like you haven't. I did it all the time. At UGI, I'd see somebody that I didn't want to talk to, so I put my earbuds in, put my head down, and walked, right? Now what I've started doing, I'll get on my phone, and I'll fake a phone call, and I'll give them like a little smirk, like, hey, I'm on the phone, can't talk, just kidding, you know, it's fake, but you don't know that, I'll see you later, and I keep going my fake phone call, you've done that too, because we all get in situations 
where we don't want to talk to people. We don't want to be around people. We, 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 we're so busy and always in such a hurry that we want to bypass interactions. And to take it even further, there are times when we get in such a hurry and we're, we're so concerned about what we have to do that day that it causes us to be inconsiderate of people. I got road rage, admittedly. I do. That's why I don't put a church sticker on my car. Um, not kidding. Maybe I should. It's accountability. But there are times when I'm in a hurry, and it is everybody else's fault that I'm late except mine. And so it causes me to honk my horn and be inconsiderate and give them the nice stare when I pass them in the left lane, right? I do that, and I shouldn't. Julie gets so mad at me when I do. But we can be in such a hurry that maybe you've experienced that. You go to Starbucks, and you're a jerk to the barista because it took a little bit longer to get the drink out. But it's not their fault. You're just in such a hurry. Or maybe you've seen somebody who you think might need a little bit of help. You don't know them, but you're in such a hurry that you just really can't imagine taking time out of what you have to do because you're in such a hurry. And so you just forget about helping whoever it is. Or maybe you're in such a hurry that you lash out a particular person because they're taking up some of your time. Here's the whole idea. I could go example after example after example after example. My whole point is that we can go an entire day being so consumed with what we need to do and what we need to accomplish and be so concerned about ourselves that people are merely obstacles, that people are merely interruptions to our day that we just kind of want to bypass, even people that you love. Julie is now my wife, and she's been my fiancé for a really long time before that and my girlfriend for even longer than that. And there are times I love her. But when she asks something of me, it feels like more of an interruption to my day because I've got things that i got to do. And so it happens with people that you love and just random people that you run into during the day. And so I bring all of that up because here's what I want us to think about tonight. And I just want to ask this question. I just wonder. I just wonder what it would look like, what our interactions would look like, and what God could do through you and in you in certain relationships if we slowed down just enough, if we slowed down just enough to remember that every single person you come in contact with every day is someone for whom Jesus died. I just, I just wonder what would happen, what interactions, what, what, what would come become of those interactions if we could just slow down just enough to remember that every person we see and every person we talk to, whether we know them or not, is someone for whom Jesus died. Because here's what's true, and I, I'm convicted by this as well. But when people fail to become a priority in our lives, when we begin to prioritize ourselves and our needs and our time and all that we want to do over and above other people, we slowly fail to display the love of God, and when we fail to display the love of God, we fail to represent Jesus well. So, I just wonder, I just wonder, what would it look like to slow down just enough to remember that everybody we talk to and everybody we see is somebody for whom Jesus died? And so today I want to look um, at a story in Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. And, and this is an amazing story. Um, Jesus uh, is the main character in this one. We're going to be Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. 
It's one of my favorite stories. This is one of those stories where it's not just a totally linear story. There's a couple moving parts that really kind of bring the story to life and bring a lot of significance to the story. And so if you don't have your Bibles with you, Uversion is a great Bible app. And if you don't have a phone, get one, and then you can look up on the screen. <clears throat> just kidding. If you don't have one, it's okay. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark chapter 5. Oh, man. All right, verse 21. So it starts out, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, excuse me, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So Jesus, here it is, verse 21. So Jesus just gets out of a boat, and he's got a large crowd around him. That's just kind of how Jesus rolled, okay? Like Bieber goes to a mall and shuts it down. When the President of the United States come to Atlanta, they close down 75 and everyone hates him, okay? So when Jesus rolled, <laughs> that's what we do. That's just how he rolled, okay? He had large crowds around him everywhere he went. Every time he did something, he was always around a lot of people. And so somebody comes to him, a synagogue ruler named Jairus. Jairus, that's not true. Jairus, keep saying his name wrong. And Jairus comes to him and he's like, hey, listen, my daughter is sick. My daughter is sick and she's about to die. She's 12 years old. I need you to come and save her. I need you to heal her. So Jesus says, all right, let's roll. So he goes with him. Pick up the story in verse 25. So Jesus followed him and they pressed her and the large crowd pressed around in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet Instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here is this woman. She's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Scholars think it was maybe some kind of like menstrual disorder or some kind of hemorrhaging. But no matter what she did and no matter how much money she spent and what doctor she saw, she didn't get better. In fact, she spent all that she had and she only got worse. And so here's this woman, and here's what's crazy. Not only did she have this, this ailment, but whenever you had some kind of deformity or whenever you had any kind of bleeding, you were considered unclean in that Jewish culture. And if you were unclean, you were an outcast from society. So here's this woman whose life has been terrible for the past 12 years, not only physically, but emotionally, because she's an outcast. She's essentially a living, dead person. Because although she's alive, She's got nobody to care for her. She's got nobody around her. She has nobody who thinks she is worth any of their time or any of their attention. She's an outcast. She is not a priority on anybody's list. And she's in this crowd. Pick up verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, Jesus' reputation always preceded him. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That's crazy. She, she's so desperate and she's such a difficult person. She just thinks, if I could just, just, just touch the, the edge of his cloak, not even his hand, not, not his foot, not his, his pinky toe, if I could just touch 
the, the, just the, the edge of the cloak that he's wearing. If I could just get that close to Jesus, I think it will heal what no doctor, no medicine, or no treatment would be able to heal. If I could just touch his cloak. This woman is desperate. This woman is just looking for something, to, to, a way to give her life again. Because it's slowly being taken away from her. And so here she is. I just I find that amazing. So she goes to touch his cloak. And it says in verse 29, immediately, immediately, instantly, the second she touched the cloak, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So here she touches the cloak and immediately, what no doctor was able to fix, what no medicine was able to fix, she was healed because she touched the cloak of the Savior of the world. In her desperation, she knew nowhere else to run except to Jesus. This is where it gets interesting. Verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples responded, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask who touched me? Right, so Jesus, again, get this picture, get this picture. He's got a bunch of people around him. Of course he's being touched. And so he turns around, he says, who just touched me? And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, I know you're like a big deal, but that's kind of a dumb question, bro. Like, you're surrounded by people. I don't know. He did. She did. They did. I mean, they're all touching you because you've got a large crowd around you. They weren't understanding what happened. They had no idea what was going on. And Jesus knew exactly what had happened. And then, so here the disciples are, Jesus you got a crowd of people around you. Like, remember where we got to go, what we got to do. We got to go heal Jairus' daughter. Just keep going. Keep moving. It's just a crowd of people. No big deal that you got touched. Yet, in verse 32, it says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus stopped, and he paused. And what makes this so crazy is you got to remember this. He is on his way to heal a dying 12-year-old girl. You've got Jairus. He's this synagogue ruler. He's upper class. He's a big deal. When he talks, people listen. When he enters the room, people realize it. Jesus is on the way to heal his daughter who could die at any minute. He's on a mission. He's got somewhere to go. And then we've got this below lower class woman who has been an outcast for 12 years. And Jesus stops. He stops everything that he's doing. He stops the journey that just seems so urgent and so important to want to look for this woman. To want to give this woman some of his time. To want to give this woman attention that she had never gotten in over a decade. And so Jesus says that he wants to look for it. He keeps looking for her. And then in verse 33, then the woman, knowing then the Noah, knowing what had happened to her, came and she fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, Jesus, Jesus knew what happened. He wasn't like genuinely like, oh man, I, I felt like this tingling sensation come out of my tippy toe. I think it was a healing power because I'm God. I wonder who did that. What, was it you? 
He wasn't, he knew. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus was all-knowing. He knew everything. He knew exactly what happened when it happened. He knew that woman's whole story the second before she even touched his cloak. He knew the reason why he stopped. The reason why he stopped going towards on this mission and going to save this girl that just seemed so urgent and important is because he wanted to look at this woman that had been an outcast for 12 years and make a personal connection with her. Jesus wanted to stop and find out who it was and talk to her because he wanted to have a relationship with her. We talked about how in week one that a relationship with our Heavenly Father, a relationship with Jesus, it's not transactional. It's not a one-stop kind of get what you want and leave, right? We talked about how you walk into Starbucks, you get a pumpkin spice latte, and you're out of there. It's a transaction. You get it, and you're done. That's not how God operates. God isn't a transactional being. He's a relational being. God isn't transactional. He's relational. Jesus wasn't interested in just kind of a transaction where she got healed. He wanted an interaction. He wanted a relationship, and he wanted he wanted to, on, this is so crazy, you got to just see this, on his way to heal a daughter of this upper class synagogue ruler, he wanted to stop and take time and, and develop a relationship and invest in a relationship with a woman who was beyond lower class. In other words, hey, everyone matters to me, Jesus said. That he would stop on his way to go help somebody really, really important, somebody who gets a lot of people's time and attention, and give time and attention to a woman who was desperate so that he could look at her and say, you are my daughter. Go be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. And Jesus gave this woman, this is amazing. What no one else could give her. Jesus looked at this woman who was desperate. And he gave her his time. His attention. And the result was her life back. She was given life that she hadn't had in over a decade. And Jesus wasn't interested in her just being healed. He was interested in a relationship. And so he stops, and Jairus is probably thinking, Jesus, my daughter. The disciples are probably like, dude, the daughter. And then the next verse is not going to be up on the screen because I just want you to hear it. Imagine, you've got that picture. He paused, and he stops. The whole crowd is wondering what's happening. This woman is terrified, and he calls her a daughter. And then, just listen to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? If I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, Jesus, why did you stop? Why did, you, why did you not keep coming to my house? Had we not stopped for this woman, you would have made it in time and my daughter wouldn't have died. She was only 12 years old, and in that moment, I can only imagine that Jairus and the disciples and even some of the people that knew what was going on saw this woman as someone who interrupted something that was really, really important. 
that you've got Jairus and Jesus was going somewhere. And, and Jairus got first dibs. He got to Jesus before anyone else did. And he, he got him to commit. He got him on the iCal. He said yes. And he was invited. And they were going. And it was, a, it was a thing. And then this woman interrupted everything. And as a result of the time that was spent, Jairus' daughter died. I can only imagine what Jairus was thinking. But Jesus looks at Jairus, and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. So Jesus, he wraps that up. He makes relational deposits with that woman, and he goes to the house. Everyone's silent. He walks in, and they look at him, and they say, she's dead. And he looks at him, and he says, no, she's only asleep. They laugh at him. Jesus says, please leave the house. They get out of the house. He looks at the little girl. He says to the little girl, get up. She gets up and she's alive. People could not believe what happened. And the beauty of this story is that it starts with Jairus and it ends with his daughter being saved from an unbelievable tragedy. But what's amazing about the story is the interruption in the middle. It's one of the few stories in Scripture. In fact, I don't want to say it's the only one because I don't know 100%. So I'll say it's one of the very, very few stories in the Gospels where there is a storyline and then there's an interruption. Where there's one story, there's something happening, and then something totally different comes in the middle of it. This divine interruption. Jesus gave this woman his time and his attention. What we learn from Jesus in the story is that he was never in a hurry. Jesus was never in such a hurry that he would fail to prioritize a person. He was never in such a hurry that he would fail to prioritize somebody who was desperately in need. Jesus was never in a hurry. He was always aware. He always paid attention. And Jesus gave of his time generously. Jesus could have easily just been like, um, he could have done a couple things. When she touched his cloak, he could have just kept going. I mean, he didn't have to stop. He didn't have to talk to her. He didn't have to call her daughter. But he wanted to make that relational deposit. He wanted to make that relational investment. He was generous with his time. And he looked at this woman and he says, yeah, you can have your life back now. And I don't need anything from you. Go. Your faith has healed you. Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus gave of his time generously. And Jesus gave life. Jesus was never in a hurry. He always paid attention. Jesus gave of his time generously. He never acted like he was too important or that his time was too valuable. And Jesus gave life. So what does that mean for you and for me? I just asked the same question I asked on the front end. What would it look like to slow down just enough? To remember that everybody who seems like an interruption is somebody for whom Jesus died. No matter how important whatever it is that you've got going on, no matter how crazy of a day that you've got, no matter how busy you think, I don't think any of us are on our way to heal a dead or a dying girl. What would it look like to slow down just enough? To not view people as interruptions, 
but as divine opportunity to display the love of God. So just to kind of get you thinking about what that might look like, I just want to ask you a few questions. The first is this. Who needs your attention? Who needs your attention? I mean, who, 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 who needs to hear from you? Who needs a phone call? Who needs a text message? Who needs to sit down with and have a cup of coffee? What, whose story do you need to listen to? Who do you need to kind of pick out? Who do you need to have lunch with? Who do you need to spend time with? Who is it that needs your attention? Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a roommate, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody in fraternity, in your sorority, on your team, in your club, in your organization. Who needs your attention? And what would it look like for you to slow down and give them attention? You know, I think so often we, we, we want to speak into people's lives and we want to help people. Let me just tell you that this one's for free, okay? You can just pocket this little nugget. Unless you make people a priority, you're not going to have any authority to speak into their life. You're not going to have any, 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 any relational deposits. Your attention is going to create space for you to invest relationally into people. The attention that you give to people is going to create space for you to really invest and pour into people's lives. If you make people a priority, it'll give your words authority. If you make people a priority, it'll, it'll give your words and what you say and your advice and your investment authority. So, hey, who needs your attention? Who needs your generosity, right? We often think with generosity, it's about material things. But I think the most valuable thing that you could give anybody is your time. Because your time is the most valuable thing that you have. We only have a set amount of time. We can't get it back. We can't make more. And once it's gone, it's gone. Time never stops. Time is the only thing that we pretty much lose every single day that we can never get back. I would argue that the most valuable thing that you have is your time. You want to make somebody a priority? You want to make somebody feel valued? Give them the most valuable thing that you have, your time. Who, do you, who needs your generosity? Who needs your time? And then who needs life? Who needs life? Who needs to be given life? Who needs to be spoken to? Who needs to be encouraged? Who needs to be given life? For anybody in here that would consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus, my bet would be that there was somebody in your life that gave you time and gave you attention and led you to a place where you surrendered your life to Jesus. I'd be willing to bet that the common denominator in all of our stories, maybe with exception, but there was somebody, a person, who gave you time and gave you attention and led you to a place where you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were given brand new life in a way that you had never been given before. Students, here's what's true, is that God wants to do the very same thing through you. God wants to do the very same thing through the time and attention that you give to other people. So what would it look like? Who needs life? Maybe a better way to ask that question, who needs Jesus? And not because anybody is a project, not because anybody is someone that we need to work on, and not because we're better than anybody else, and not because we're going to go around thumping people upside the head with the Bible. No, 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 no. It's because we believe that everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. And there might be some of you in the room who you relate with, any, with more than anybody with that woman. You're desperate 
You don't really know where to go. You don't really know what to believe anymore. You don't really know what to do. You've tried it all. You've tried everything under the sun. You've, you're spent emotionally, financially, spiritually. You've done everything you can to try to feel better, to find peace, to find joy, to find hope, and you just can't find it. And maybe you're here in desperation. I'm glad you're here because here's what I want you to know is that regardless of any kind of time or attention that you haven't gotten, I want you to know that you matter to God. You matter to your Heavenly Father. You're valuable to your Heavenly Father to such a degree that he would send Jesus for you. Look, I say this a lot, but here's what you got to understand. Look no further than the cross for proof that you matter to God. Look no further than the cross for proof that you matter to God. Who needs your attention? Who needs your generosity? Who needs life? Every great thing that Jesus ever did centered on making people the priority. The greatest things that Jesus ever did centered around making people the priority. The greatest things that he ever did on this earth was when he put other people before himself. Above all the miracles that he did, all the things that he did, the greatest things that he ever did centered on making people a priority. Students, the greatest things that you will be a part of, the greatest things that God will do in you and through you will center on you making people a priority. So what would it look like to slow down just enough to remember that every person you run into, whether you know them or not, is a person for whom Jesus died. Because if we can slow down just enough in our day-to-day on this campus, greater things happen. If we slow down just enough on campus, imagine what it would look like, just for a second. Imagine what would happen on this campus if we collectively went out as a body and said, look, I'm not going to rush through my day. I mean, I got to do what I got to do, and I'm not asking you to be late to class. I'm not telling you to miss an appointment. I'm not telling you to skip a date because you shared Jesus with somebody, okay? What I am saying is, what if we just slowed down just enough to learn a name? What if we slowed down just enough to say hello? What if we slowed down just enough to help? What if we slowed down just enough to make somebody feel significant, important, do something sweet, do something helpful? What would it look like if we slowed down just enough? So a few years ago, uh, two years ago actually, I was flying from Dallas uh, to Atlanta. And I was, I was, I was bass out on seminary, but I was flying into Atlanta to speak for a high school camp, a high school retreat. I forget what church. I think it was at Sharp Top. I don't know. But I was flying in, and I was excited to speak. I was excited to do the whole thing. But what I was really excited about, to be honest with you, is um, at the time I was addicted to Candy Crush. And it had just come out. I heard somebody talk about it, and I got addicted, real talk. And so... I had been stuck on a level for no joke, maybe a week and a half. Couldn't beat it, and I didn't want to spend any money, so I didn't want to use any of the little, the little cheat codes at the bottom. And so I was just stuck on it. So here's what I decided. I've got an hour and a half, two-hour plane ride, and I can play that game on airplane mode. So I decided that I was going to use that hour and a half 
to dominate that level of Candy Crush. And I'm not even joking you. I was really excited about it. I had it planned out. I told Julie, I was like, listen, this plane ride, I'm going to beat Candy Crush. I'm going to be very careful with my moves. I'm going to like line up the candies perfectly. I'm going to crush the right ones. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to spend 30 minutes on one life if I have to. I didn't play it for a day so I could save up my five lives. I was going to beat this Candy Crush level. I'm not even joking you. That was my priority. And I was so excited. I was ready. And I sat down, and I immediately put my headphones in so that nobody would bother me because that's the universal language for leave me the heck alone, and I was ready to beat this candy crush level. And then the lady next to me taps me on the shoulder. In my head, I'm thinking, headphones? You have to go to the bathroom? We haven't taken off yet, you know? So I turned to her, and I'm like, hey. She's like, what's your name? And I'm thinking, you're joking me. <laughs> like, this is not real life. So she starts asking me questions. And we kind of sort of start talking. It's kind of a one-way conversation because I just want to play Candy Crush. I kept playing. I would do one of these numbers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hoping she would just stop talking to me because I didn't want to talk to her. I wanted to play Candy Crush. Everything in me wanted to be like, lady, can you just leave me alone and look out the window? You got a window seat. Entertain yourself. I want to play Candy Crush. And then we kept talking. We kept talking. And then she found out what I was doing. She found out where I went to school, Dallas Seminary. She found out what I was studying. And then all of a sudden, she starts asking questions about Jesus. She starts asking questions about the Bible. She starts asking questions about faith. And I slowly realized what was happening. I was about to squander an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody because my priority was on candy crush. And so that plane ride... I got to share Jesus with her. I got to pull out this very Bible, and I got to share truths from her about the Bible. I got to answer a lot of her questions to the best of my ability. And by the end of that plane ride, this lady looks at me, and she says, I can't believe I sat next to you on the airplane. She said, I now see Jesus in faith in a way that I have never seen it before. And she looks at me, and she said this. I'll never forget this. I thank God that I sat next to you today. And I remember that, and I think about what I almost wanted to do. I think about how I wanted to play Candy Crush. I think about how I wanted to do everything but make her a priority. And I just kind of just am almost ashamed <laughs> to think that I would put a game over putting anybody else to be a priority. That I would rather give my time and attention to my phone than time and attention to somebody who maybe needs more life than I could ever imagine. And this was a complete stranger. What was I thinking? I think it's more of what was I not thinking. What I wasn't thinking in the moment was that Jesus died for her. And that maybe she doesn't have what I have. And maybe God wants to use me to give it to her. So, students, what would it look like to slow down? What would it look like to not be in a hurry? What would it look like to be intentional and make relational deposits with people? 
not because they're a project, not because there's a goal in mind, but simply because Jesus died for them. Because here's what I can promise you is when we start doing that, when we start loving people that way, when we start giving people that kind of time and that kind of attention, the love of God is going to be on display in so many relationships that I can promise you greater things are going to happen on this campus. Greater things are going to happen at the living room. Greater things are going to happen in and through you. And what I mean by greater, I don't mean that everyone's life is going to be perfect. I just mean that people's lives are going to be changed. That people, like that woman, who their whole lives feel like an interruption, will find life in a way that they never had before. So let's slow down. Let's make people a priority. And I would challenge you to figure out what that looks like for you day in and day out. Who needs your attention? Who needs your generosity? Who needs life? Who greatest things that you will ever be a part of are when you make people a priority. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray you would give us awareness, courage to put people first, to put people above ourselves, to make people a priority, even when we don't feel like it, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we have other things that we want to do. And I pray, Father, that in those relationships and in those interactions and in those relational deposits that you would work and you would move and you would do what only you can do, and that is change lives. Father, we pray for greater things, and we pray for big things to happen on this campus. And we ask that you would use us in whatever way that you see fit. It is in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Thank you.